Hey, y'all, you're listening to the Mother Far From Home podcast with me, your host, Rachel Norman. If you desperately need a common sense, down-to-earth perspective on how to mother well without losing it, living in constant stress, or needing to escape your life, you have come to the right place. Hey mamas, I am back and this is actually part two of my three-part series of kind of my growth as a mom, where I went, where I started and kind of, uh, you know, where I'm at, the the major focuses that, you know, I, the major things I focused on during these different parts that I feel like help bring peace and calm and, you know, more stability in my parenting, in my moods that help me you know, unearth tons of triggers and why I was triggered and patterns that I was passing on, even though I didn't, wouldn't have wanted to. And so the first part we talked about routines, like just what's happening on the outside, you know, like my atmosphere, the environment, my days, they got to flow in a way that's okay with me, that's predictable. You know, if everything about life is out of control for my personality, this is a real no-go, people. <laughs> okay. So um, that was the first phase. And so the second phase is, is I'm going to talk about when not my focus kind of switched over to the kid's behavior. Okay. So this is where I wanted to make sure I was emotionally supporting them. And also that, you know, their behavior, I don't want to say that I I wasn't like, I'm going to get their behavior under control, but more like I started to notice when the normal parts of our days are, you know, in order, they would have, whether it was a meltdown or an outburst or seemed to have an issue or seemed to be suffering or sad or whatever I viewed was happening with them, heavily affected me. I felt so affected by it that I was like, okay, this we're we're focusing on the kids. I want to make sure they feel loved, nurtured, supported, and not out of control, right? The third part I will get into next week. So, but I, it was like I, in my mind, I was thinking, okay, I never have thought my kids need to be perfect, nothing like that. You know, I grew up, my favorite kind of comic or book that I read, series of books was Calvin and Hobbes. And Calvin was just, you know, very kind of a rebellious, silly, full of life, young little blonde boy. And I feel like, I I, I don't know, (laughs) I literally had three of those. I actually had three that are exactly like this kid. Okay. I don't know if I, I don't know. I I have no comment on this, but anyway, so I, it wasn't that I always wanted them to be perfect. I don't always need them to just sit still and be quiet. I didn't have a mold I wanted them to fit in, but I did want to make sure that they lived up to their potential, that they really became the the boys, the young men, the men that God created them to be, that their strengths didn't become massive weaknesses, you know, this type of thing. So part of me and my personality is that I'm very forward looking, right? Well, this is great, but it also can be pretty bad because it meant that I felt like every little behavior they did meant some huge thing about the future. Okay, so it's like if if the child, you know, did something that they kind of shouldn't have done and then I asked them and they lied. I I was so triggered by this and I'm like, they're going to be a liar and a cheat and a scumbag, you know, instead of, instead of thinking, okay, they lied. They don't have the skills right now. I need to help work with them because lying's not okay with me. So I need to work with them to help develop the skills so that when a situation like this happens, they're able to just stand up and tell the truth, right? They're still responsible for if they're telling a lie. I'm not okay with it. 
but I'm not viewing it as some future death sentence for them, right? So this is when I started doing my language of listening training. One of my friends had gone through years of language of listening training, and she was like, it was life-changing. And I was like, but what does that mean? Okay. And I just was like, why not? I'll do it. And I signed up for it, you know? And, um, you know, obviously now I'm a language of listening uh, coach, but it helped me it, it just helped. Okay. So I'll get into way more of that later. But this is when I started learning how to support my kids emotionally. And instead of just jumping the gun, I'm going to get into that here in, in this, this episode. But this is when I started doing the strategic, these playtimes with my kids um, that I teach in Nurture and Play, right? It's not open right now. You can join the wait list. The link's in the show notes, but it's nurtureandplay.com slash join. But this is when, I've talked about this before, but this is when we do, you know, 30 minutes once a week. We have specific toys that and you use specific coaching strategies to help build the kids up and they kind of play out what's working on what's going on with them they play out their issues they bring their own challenges right i started doing this with my kids in this time when i was focusing on my kids and their behavior um and their little hearts there were some ways that my parenting started changing for the better okay i learned to hold my this was a huge one for me i learned to hold my boundaries without feeling that it was bad or icky and or thinking that it wounded my kids right so it there's this phase that not all women go through but that some go through where it feels like if if you're going to hold a normal healthy good boundary that it is somehow you know and and the kids don't like it that it is bad or wrong now part of me always knew i had to do it anyway like i got to hold the line against things that are <laughs> righteous and good and against things that are not right but it felt so icky to do it, okay? That was something that came up for me during this this phase. I also learned to see the donut, not the hole, aka this is when I started to be able to see the behaviors that the kids were doing and not think it meant something else, right? So not catastrophizing. So what was the behavior? I'm going to look at the donut, not the hole, which is whatever I think this might mean about their future right? Okay, this happened. This kid hit this kid. This kid kicked that kid. This doesn't mean they're going to be gang leaders in jail, right? This means they both got so overwhelmed and overcome that they literally thought there was nothing that they could do to defend themselves but kick each other. Okay, now we got something to work with. Kicking's clearly not okay. Kicking ain't going to go well for them in life. They just walk around kicking people when they're out of control. But the, it, it, there are skills that can be learned for when you're out of control to behave differently. And then that is something that we could focus on. So I learned to help my kids feel super understood. So this is a, a language of listening principle where we we learn that you can validate someone without agreeing with them. So what would happen is my kid would do something that would not be great and 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 they would be, you know, feeling whatever they felt about it. And I would, they know I don't like what they did. And I knew I didn't like what they did. But if I felt compelled to have to repeat myself, that was bad. We can't do it. They didn't feel understood. They knew that it was bad. They probably didn't even like that they did it, right? I started to view it different. Like I can, kind of like if, if your kid comes up and they're like, there's nothing to do in the house. Okay. In our mind, we're like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. There's 50 billion things to do in the house, right? So if we say, you know, what I just said, then they're, they're kind of like, you know, slump. And wh wh whereas what they really mean was, ah, oh, you're saying there's like nothing to do in the house because there's nothing you can think of that you want to do. 
right? So then this is is more accurate. So they just said this throwaway phrase. And if we just beat them down with it when they didn't even mean it, I learned to see past the initial things that the kids were presenting for me. Ah, you think there's nothing to do in that? There's nothing you can think of that you want to do, even though there's lots of things to do. And then they're like, yeah, okay. So then I don't need to kind of beat them with the truth over and over again, which I really, this was, I felt I needed to beat my kids with the truth. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I did because I was like, hey, these kids got to know, they got to learn what life's about. I'm going to have to tell them. Okay. And I still love doing that and I'm never going to not do it. But I learned to that sometimes when the kids are coming up to me, I, I need to help them understand. I need to help them facilitate what they're feeling to know what they're actually feeling. I don't need to tell them they're wrong about what they're feeling. And even if I think they're wrong, I can still help them facilitate their feelings without agreeing. And that was a big, big deal for me. So as I learned how to help the kids feel understood, how to de-escalate situations, how to not catastrophize, just focus on, you know, what what is happening? Am I okay with it or am I not okay with it? If I'm not okay with it, what is, you know, what is the boundary? What can they do instead, right? Um, I learned to live in that, you know, what I don't like, if, if I just really don't like something, it ain't happening in my house that I pay for, you know, and that's just how that cookie crumbles and it, without it being so heavy. And over time, the temperature of our home, you know, like the, it just cooled down. It was like the meltdowns weren't as melty, you know, the attitudes weren't as attitude you know, the, the sadness wasn't as sad. It just, it just felt like the temperature cooled, right? So I felt like, Overall, I had good strategies that were helping things go well, you know. Um, so part of the tools that I learned in my language of listening, you know, was de-escalation, right? We know we this is a, kind of a term that we might have all have heard, but it really just means when things are really high and heightened, this is when a lot of the behaviors get crazy, a lot of them go sideways, a lot of it is just not uh, you know, stuff we're not okay with. I learned how in those moments to de-escalate because sometimes the very thing we think we need to do makes it worse, which is, that's a nightmare, isn't it? You know, the very thing we go in guns blazing, bull in a china shop to kind of fix, we can actually make it worse. So I learned how to de-escalate the situations, especially between siblings, but even with one kid who was just really resistant to doing something that needed to happen, right? I learned do-overs. I've talked about these before. You can, um, I have a video on this on my YouTube channel, A Mother Far From Home. You could YouTube or Google A Mother Far From Home do-over YouTube. And this is when, you know, something happens with the kids and I do something I didn't really, I'm not really proud of, or, or I didn't notice something that I feel like I should have noticed. I go back and, oh, can we have a do-over, you know, and I do it again. This was extremely helpful in relationship building with my kids because they could see I was modeling, uh, apologizing, or I was modeling, okay, I didn't get that right. Now I'm going to come back and try to get it right again. So I kind of was modeling everything not needing to be perfect, right? It's hard. Um, it's hard to grow into a, a deep-seated real issue with perfectionism if that isn't modeled for you anywhere. I mean, it can happen, but it, it's it's much more difficult, right? So some of my only have one, maybe two kids who could go a little bit in that way. Some of that just kind of went, went was, you know, it simmered down, 
right? So the do-overs, that's when I started focusing on those. I stopped focusing on consequences per se, and I started just focusing on not letting them do what I'm not okay with and making them do what they needed to do that, you know, these good, healthy, normal things that should happen and not needing to heap on a consequence just to make sure they do it because I realized actually like the so it's kind of like I, I started to view discipline as like at the bowling alley, the guardrails that come up that prevent you from your ball going in the gutter. That's how I started to view discipline, right? I don't need to, you know, if the ball, they, they do the ball and I'm the bumper, right? This is how I started to view discipline. I'm the bumper. I'm going to go, oh, no, we're not going in there. Or, oh, no, we're not doing that. And I'm the one that's keeping there. Now, the ball might bounce back and forth across the alley. You know, kids, the behavior is going to, but I'm the one that's like, nope, 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 ah, nope, to eventually their momentum will get them down to the end, right? So instead of then needing to also heap a consequence on top of it, it was like, did they stop what I wanted them to stop? Yes. Okay. Did they do what I wanted them to do? Yes. Okay. What else is there to do? It happened that what I wanted to happen happened. What I didn't, didn't. Or if there would be repetitive behavior that I didn't like, I would learn to restructure something in the house so that it was much more difficult. It was, I made barriers to that behavior happening. Does that make sense? Now, I'm not saying we don't need to pull a consequence out of the head. Of course, that, of course, that can be true. You know, my son broke something of his brother's. He has to pay for it. Whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that. But often when we feel powerless as moms, we, we just try to come up with all these random consequences to shove on our kids to hope they'll do it when really we need to be the bumpers that just stop them. And when they're stopped, okay. So that was freeing for me because it was like, well, I always felt like, what consequence can I give them that will make them be good as though this was a mystery, you know? And then when I started to just be more like, if I say stop, stop, I don't need to add an extra thing to it. Does that make sense? Um, that was freeing for me personally. Another thing that was big is that I stopped seeing my kids as like bad or hopeless or needing rescuing or so vulnerable they couldn't do anything. It was like I had this idea that they were victims of life. I don't know. And I was going to have to rescue them from life. And of course, when kids are little, I mean, of course, that we nurture and we care. And to a certain extent, they are powerless in that they can't go build themselves a house. And of course, we know all these things. But it was more than that. I was viewing them as just sort of, you know, incapable or then anytime they had a mild struggle or frustration, I would be like, mommy must rescue or else if I don't, they feel abandoned. You know, I was bringing in some of my, um, oh, some of my childhood issues into how I parented and I was, I was projecting myself onto them. And so I started seeing them by doing these other parenting type of strategies. I started, you know, not rescuing oh, they're having a struggle with this. I don't necessarily need to do anything. I can maybe just validate their struggle and sit with them because they are the ones that might come up with the solution. And then they did. And I started, especially during the playtimes that we did, I started to see, oh, wow. Like some of their struggles and the way they would handle them, I thought, this is a clever kid. And I just began began to be confident in my kids and feel like, these kids can handle it. And this was a domino effect or a knock-on effect, as they say in um, Australia. Maybe they say that everywhere. I feel like that's the first place I heard it, but it was a knock-on effect that I realized. 
I, I didn't feel like every single part of every one of my kids' life forever rested on me because they couldn't do anything and I was going to have to rescue and save them. I, I didn't have this anymore because I started to see my kids as confident. During this phase of my parenting growth, I started learning how to mediate. Now, I could, I still have room for growth in this area because I got five kids and four of them are boys. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes I just don't have the energy to mediate. I'm just like, stop it. <laughs> um, but I did learn the skills in mediating. And that is sort of objective objectively being able to help both parties process what's happening and come to a resolution. You know, I, I had up until this point, well, actually that was probably in my third phase of healing, but I would often paint one kid as a victim and one kid as an aggressor. And then I would stop and not dig further. And then I actually created some sibling rivalry in the house by doing this. (laughs) Don't you hate it, moms? Don't you hate it? So Anyway, this is when I started learning how to mediate, how to help all the kids feel understood, right? And that doesn't mean they get what they want. It doesn't mean they don't have to do the thing. No, and it doesn't mean I'm permissive. Like, I actually consider myself quite strict about things that are important to me, but yet don't have a lot of punishment. I don't really know how that works, but we'll get into that maybe the next time, the next phase. But this is a phase when I started bringing out my kids' strengths, right? So I started to notice their, what we call in language of listening, running leaps. And so a, a perfect example of this running leap is you're walking in, you know, in a meadow and you come across a little creek and there's banks on both sides. So it's just a few feet across. Like you could jump it, but you can't just step across it, right? So you, what do you do? You actually have to turn around, walk back a few steps, and then you kind of take a running leap, you take a run to build up so you can leap over it. So in, so let me break this down further. So a running leap is whenever you get to a challenge and you think, hmm, I need to turn around. I need to get some other momentum going before I can do that. Well, when you turn around and go back in that moment, it can actually look like you're quitting. Oh, I guess you're just not even going to try to jump over it. You're just going to go back the way you came. So if you interrupt if what I was doing, let's put it like this, is when my kids were doing things like this. Okay, let me give an example before I go on. So you you stick with me. It's like a kid at the playground and there's like a a bunch of slides of different heights. And the kid, a kid goes up to the big steep slide and then they get to the top and then they're like, "Mm -mm," and they turn around and come down. Okay. And then what do they do? They go to a smaller slide and they will go on that slide over and over again because they're gaining confidence. This isn't them quitting. This is them building up their own confidence, their own sense of self to feel prepared. And then they might go back up to the big one. Hmm, Not quite yet. And then they might go back down and do it again. Do another one Um, and do another small slide until they then go back up and then have the confidence to come down. So what we often do as parents, the first time they go up to the big slide and then they want to get down, we're like, don't, you know, don't quit. Don't be a quitter. Be persistent. Be brave. It's okay. So we're actually interrupting their own internal process of building up their belief in themselves to be able to do it. So instead of seeing my kids as giving up or weak or not meeting a challenge, you know, and because I'm like a driven type A, go get them rhino type of whatever. That was very grating to me. Like, I'm not having a bunch of wimpy quitters, you know. I started to see, oh, they ain't trying to quit. They're trying to with, with like me just being like, it's fine is not what they want. They want to believe that they can do it and they're 
making up their own challenges at the level that's appropriate for them to be able to do it. So actually this last, when I just did the language of listening cohort, I had a, a story that a dad and mom told, they both did it together, the um, nurture and play. And this is just excellent. So this child, I don't know exactly how old she was, probably would have been between two and four, something like maybe two and five, three and five. And um, that she had a puzzle she was trying to put together. And one of the pieces like kept getting stuck and she couldn't get in. And then they said, as they, they it was like, she was trying to do it. And they before would have either jumped in to rescue her or to help so that she didn't have a meltdown. It was like, they both were like, let's just wait and see. So then she kind of got mad through the pieces. I, I'm, I might be, I feel like that's what happened. If I'm mis- misremembering it and you're listening, you can let me know. But basically she like threw the piece. It was not having it. Went over, found another puzzle to put together that she could put together and did it. And then, or play with something else. And then would keep coming back to this piece to keep trying it until she finally got it. So if they would have, so actually now they could view her as persistent, dedicated, patient, you know, able to rise up to the challenge. But if they had jumped in as at the first sign of frustration, they would have viewed her as unable, you know, wanting to quit, being a quitter. You see the difference here? This perspective is absolutely massive in how we see our kids. So I started to see my kids as instead of like, oh, they're giving up, I started to look deeper and watch for what they were actually doing and realize these kids are trying to, these kids are building, they are, are, you know, of course I'm there supporting and loving and nurturing, but they're trying to do it. I don't need to rescue them, right? So I started to see these deeper character traits that my kids did have that I had been missing out on because I was like freaking out in the moment or I was so used to rescuing. And they, that like in this situation with this young girl, then her parents could be like, you're persistent. Like you took, you know, it took hours, but you did it. You do not back down in a challenge. Like you will think about it and you'll make a plan and you will figure it out. Like this is deep, good stuff. But when we're just busy jumping in, rescuing, viewing our kids, you know, as these weak, pathetic things, we don't see that. And then we're not able to reflect it back to our kids, right? So this was a lot of what I had coming up, right? But uh, this was a lot of the changes that helped. So, but then I still had a lot of inner issues. So it was like, I got the routine going and that was good. I got the, um, you know, some of the, how to, how to support my kids, make them feel validated, how to deescalate, how to kind of manage discipline. But I still had tons of inner issues coming up. So this is what my third phase of sort of growth in being a mom was. Like, I still was very fearful that, that all my mistakes were like messing them up. I still saw I lived in a danger world perspective. You know, I'm a danger spotter. Like, oh, that's a danger. Oh, that's a danger. Oh, that's a danger. So I still felt like we were all in perilous danger all of the time. You know, I started to know, like I said before, I didn't need to rescue them, but I still had these intense emotions like I was an abandoner or I was, you know, like, just all of the normal little behaviors that happen with kids brought out these deep anxieties or fears in me. So even when I would go and make a natural, you know, like say they're resisting bedtime and I know they need to go to bed, I'm still going to make them. But instead of being able to just make them and do it in peace, it was like I was just so fraught, you know, I had made essentially I made all of their behaviors about me. 
And so their behaviors, and I'll talk more about that in the next podcast next week. So their behaviors seemed so significant, even if they weren't, because it was like, if they were okay, that means I was a good mom. If they were not okay, I was a bad mom. If they misbehaved at Walmart, I will, you see what I mean? It was like, I made so many of these things about me that I felt constantly tossed to and fro like one of those dolls with the strings. And it was just like, I'm trying to do my thing, but I'm just, everybody got a string on me. Everybody got a string on me. That is how I felt. And so I, I, there was deep growth, deep peace in having our home life, you know, get in order. And that's why I often start with routines for moms. There's a deep sense of peace in that. And there was a deep sense of seeing my kids differently as capable, recognizing they were separate from me, you know, um, kind of breaking that enmeshment that was deep. And then, and I'll talk about this next week when I really moved into this deep stuff, like I make everything about them about me. So I am just in a spiral all the time. This is when that just sort of deep, calm sense of parenting piece I got that doesn't say my kids are going to be better than anybody else's kids or they're just going to all turn out perfectly because that was never a guarantee. That's never something I can know is going to happen. It can't happen that I'm perfect and they're perfect. But what happened is I realized like I was finally able to see what is my responsibility and what isn't. And you can have peace when you're minding your own responsibilities and you're letting other people mind theirs, there is peace. You lack peace when you feel like you have to control something that you cannot control. That is a recipe for never having peace. So on that encouraging note, <laughs> um, no, it is encouraging because it's encouraging when we realize what we can't control because we can release that. So that is where we're going to go next week. Um, I hope some of these like points were, were interesting and got you thinking. Um, and stay tuned for part three. As always, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. You can find me on my website, A Mother Far From Home, and on YouTube under the same name. If you like this podcast, I'd love it if you could write a five-star review. and It'll help all the algorithms to get it in front of other moms who benefit from this encouragement. Until next time, keep it real out there, mama.